In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the feast of the dedication of the Cathedral of St. John Lateran. Now, I'm sure most of you are thinking, oh, of course, the feast of the dedication of the Cathedral of St. John Lateran. But if you're not, if you're drawing a blank, that's probably because it's only about once every decade that this feast falls on a Sunday. So, unless you come to daily Mass, the last time you heard a sermon about it would have been 11 years ago, on November 9, 2003. And if, God forbid, you weren't paying attention that day, you would have to remember all the way back to what I'm sure was a mesmerizing homily you heard 17 years ago on November 9, 1997. The really surprising thing, though, is that we celebrate this feast on any Sunday of any year. Most feasts, when they fall on a Sunday, get trumped or eclipsed, or to use the technical word, occluded by the Sunday so that you have to wait an entire year to celebrate the feast again. But not this one. This one trumps even a Sunday. Why is that? What's so important about the founding or dedication of this particular church, the Cathedral of St. John Lateran? Well, first of all, St. John Lateran is the Cathedral of Rome, which means it's the Cathedral of the Bishop, of Rome, which means that it's the cathedral of the Pope, which means, in a way, it's the cathedral of the whole church. It even outranks St. Peter's Basilica. St. Peter's is just a basilica. St. John Lateran is the arch basilica. Second, it's the oldest church we have. It was dedicated in the year 324, shortly after Constantine made Christianity legal in the Roman Empire. Prior to that, of course, Christians had no public churches because they had to worship in secret. As for the name St. John Lateran, the Lateran part is just the family name of the people who owned the building long before it became a church. And St. John does double duty in honor of St. John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist. Now, if all this is getting a little hard to follow, just remember that St. John Lateran is the mother of all churches. In fact, if you ever visit Rome and go to the Archbasilica itself, you'll find that very phrase is carved in Latin into the stone. Omnium urbis et urbis et orbis ecclesiarum mater, which means mother of all the churches in this city and around the world. This motherhood is significant. It means that St. John Lateran represents, in a certain sense, all churches. It means that in celebrating St. John Lateran, we're also celebrating all of her daughter churches 
around the world, right down to our very own church, St. John the Beloved. I don't know if Father Pollard planned it this way, but it seems providential that St. John Lateran falls on this weekend when the scaffolding has been taken away and the glory of our newly renovated church is upon us. So we celebrate churches today. What is a church? We could give many different answers to that question, of course, but how about this one? A church is home. I remember when I was little and my brothers and I were a little too wound up on a Sunday morning and my mom wanted to calm us down before we walked through the church door, she would say to us, quiet, it's God's house. That worked most of the time, but more importantly, it taught us a very basic and therefore very profound theological truth. A church is God's house, God's home, where he invites us to come and rest a while, as often as we want, in fact, to unburden ourselves, to throw off the cares of this anxious world. The world is no home for us, right? To hear of God's love for us, to refresh ourselves at the wedding feast of the Eucharist. Have you ever noticed when you go into a Protestant church, even a beautiful Protestant church, how cold and empty it feels? The reason is, if it's not too impolite to say it, there's no one home. There's no tabernacle, no flickering sanctuary candle to tell you that Jesus is inside, that he loves you so much that coming in the flesh 2,000 years ago wasn't enough, that he continues to make himself present in the most basic and reassuring way as our food and drink under the appearances of ordinary bread and wine. Of course, I know that God's power is present everywhere because he holds all things in existence. But we crave a little more than that, don't we? Likewise, I don't doubt that when those good Protestants gather to pray, God is present with them there in their church in a special way. But what about when they leave? Is it really God's house anymore in anything like the way our churches are? No, it's not. And Protestants will tell you that. That's why they use their churches for all sorts of things. Because in the end, they're just meeting places. All of which makes us realize how lucky we are. Wherever we go throughout the world, we know we have a home somewhere nearby with a standing invitation from Jesus, the master of the house.
Now, in case you think all this talk about houses and homes is too pious or sentimental, think about what Scripture says. Think about the Old Testament, which tells us quite frequently and directly that God dwelled in the Jewish temple. Listen to how the saints of Israel spoke of God's house, with what affection and reverence. How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord, God of hosts! My soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in thy house, O Lord, ever singing thy praise. For one day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to visit his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. What wonderful testimonies these are, and I could quote many more. Yet we know that the temple, for all its glory, was only a type, a foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ. It was a temporary home, a waypoint on the journey that had started long before. All of salvation history, you see, can be told as the story of homesick humanity trying to get back home. The first man and woman, the prodigal son and daughter, left the garden, the garden that needed no church because it was all God's home. And at that point, humanity's exile began. From that point on, like the prodigal son, we were homesick. But unlike him, we didn't even know what or where home was. As in the parable, however, the Father came out to meet us. He called Abraham to a new home. He called Moses out of Egypt, Solomon to build him the temple. And from these seeds, his kingdom, his household, sprouted and grew until the unthinkable happened. God dwelled in, not a temple, in man. God became one of us. He took up residence in that new temple, the very body and soul of man. His presence in the old temple, remember, had been temporary and provisional. It could be withdrawn and was withdrawn. His presence in the new temple is everlasting. It's a union that cannot be broken, a home forever. We get a glimpse of this in the gospel when Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. 
What is he saying? He's saying this union between God and man can't be broken. Kill my body, and I will raise it up in three days. Divinity forever joined to humanity. And then if you look at our first reading today from Ezekiel, it speaks of water flowing from the side of the temple. Such a strange image. But what does it remind you of? Jesus on the cross, right? Water flowing from the side of the temple of his body. And what does that water represent? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit poured out on us. Represented so beautifully now in our church. And what do we become when we receive the Holy Spirit? Temples. Temples, right? As St. Paul tells us in our second reading, we become temples of God. This taking up of his dwelling within us is not always a comfortable thing. Ezekiel presents it that way, and we should think of it that way. But think of the gospel. What does Jesus do when he enters the temple? He ransacks the temple. And sometimes it can feel that way when Jesus is working inside of us. Sometimes. So we shouldn't be discouraged when we feel that way. We shouldn't be discouraged because this presence of God within us, as in a temple, is gradually transforming us until one day we are fit to meet him face to face in that home where all is bliss and death is no more. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.